Everyone's a hero in their own way Everyone's got villains they must face They're not as cool as mine But folks, you know it's fine to know your place Everyone's a hero in their own way In their own, not that heroic way Unpopular before it was cool. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Help me out here, Spock. I don't speak loser. Listen to yourself, man. You're hanging with nerds. At times like these, when life is getting me down, and the world seems like it's gonna end, ship. There's at least one power that we both still have And that's the power of Friendship Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say Yeah, it's an easy rhyme I'm your super friend <laughs> Your super friend I'll be there in the nick of Hello everybody, time. welcome to Made of Fail I am Dana, returning because somebody couldn't co-host And I had to come in at the last second Boy, this is really great Anyway we have our good friend Matthew Rossi here from BlizzardWatch.com. Say hi. Hello, everybody. The ever cheerful Matthew Rossi. <laughs> oh, part of it is physical. I'm I'm not doing all that well physically today. I'm not entirely sure what the problem is, but of course, it's a great time to podcast when your voice keeps dropping down into the lower register and you sound like a backed up septic tank. Yay! Let's go. <laughs> Fantastic! Anyway, um, for those who are not familiar with you on your previous appearances or have not heard of Blizzard Watch, why don't you give us a little rundown of who you are and what you do, etc., etc., etc. Okay, I'm Matt. I write about video games professionally, uh, mostly the ones made by Blizzard Entertainment, hence Blizzard Watch. I used to work for WoW Insider slash Engadget. Yes. But uh, they're gone now. So, yeah, uh, you can find me at BlizzardWatch.com. That's that's the site where I write. A um, bunch of us work there. Uh, I also write books. Um, they're on Amazon. You can look them up. Uh, the the nameless series it's called because I couldn't come up with a better name. That's, well, you're that's, thinking that's about changing it to Will Workers, right? Uh, I think the next series when I do, I, I think I've finished the trilogy. I just finished the third book in the trilogy, Faceless, and uh, you'd know that. And uh, when that comes out, that'll probably be the end of that trilogy, and then I'll do another yeah. trilogy, Will Workers. Oh, okay, because I was like, don't you dare say goodbye no, no, to those no. characters. It, the characters will keep going, but Better. I feel like I'll I'll move to a new series so I can move forward in time a little bit. Like, because it's been the, the way the books have been. It's been one a year. Like the first one was set in ninety seven. The second one was set in ninety eight. The third one was set in ninety nine, two thousand. And I w basically want to start moving a little bit further ahead, just so I can tell other stories with the characters. Like eventually, one of my dreams is to eventually catch up to the modern day with them mm -hmm. and see what they're up to now. But yeah, you can find those on Amazon. So I can't wait till Bri discovers World of Warcraft. Yeah, I'm not sure she'll actually like. I don't think WoW would be her thing. I think she'd probably be much more of an EverQuest player. Oh god, and, I lost a boyfriend to EverQuest once. Yeah, <laughs> that was sad. I, I never actually played EQ, but I was a big City of Heroes fan. 
when that came out, and then um, WoW came out like a little after it. And so I ended up playing WoW because my my now wife wanted to play it, which is you know th- that's where all my troubles began. Really, <laughs> it's it's been a strange seventeen you, all, years. You know that could have been parsed as all your troubles began with your wife, and I don't think she'd appreciate you saying that. <laughs> oh, my wife is the only reason I'm still alive. But World of Warcraft has been like a constant companion in my life over the past. My God, it's been thirteen years. Very irritating, sometimes companion very sometimes irritating. I can proofread myself while I talk. Anyway, yeah. So that's actually what I've been working on um, for our listeners who've been around for years and years and years, and I can't believe that we're coming up on nine years of made a fail. Holy shit. Um, I am actually going to be uh, starting my own business, and I'm terrified of it, and it's going to be a proofreading copy editing thing, and Matt here has been gracious enough to let me... Uh, take a take a like a this is why i'm not really a writer i'm more of a proofreader <laughs> but take a knife to his uh what's that thing that uh like julienne's fries you know like i think i don't know actually we've always seen the things on the that, commercials yeah what the hell are they called yeah, i don't know it slices <laughs> it dices yeah oh a ginsu knife ginsu knife jeez yeah. i thought you meant like the actual like they always have that weird thing you put them on and like slide it back and forth and it's like it has like little little spikes in it. You stick into the potato, and then you drag it back and forth across that thing until it's sliced up. I don't know what it is. I know what it does. I want to put my ex boyfriend into it. Oh, you know, it's <laughs> between you and and devices you might want to use to chop people up. I'm I'm just a I'm just I'm a facilitator. Picky. I I need the correct tools for the correct job. But um, let's talk about the your uh, the nameless series real quick because. Part of the th- part of the buzz that it gets is that it's really, really uh, representative of a lot of diverse people, um, sexually more or less. Although it, I, the sexualities are really well represented, but I've noticed that you kind of don't really have any minority characters that much, except for maybe Thea as Romani. Well, there's Evie, who's Puerto Rican, but oh, you, okay. don't, I didn't, you don't get to see too much of that. Well, and I always Akabasha. picture her as blonde. I don't know why. Because uh, she colors her hair a lot, so people, you know, uh, Evie is half Puerto Rican, half Irish, and there's, uh, I, I have noticed this myself, one of the problems is that Rhode Island is not a tremendously diverse state, it is more than, one of the reasons that there's a Hmong character in the most recent book is because there's Hmong in Rhode Island in a good notion, and, and you know, of course there are other ethnic groups there as well, but I, I, I did want to deal with that more than I did, it just hadn't come up yet. It's one of those situations where I want to do it right, and I don't want to do it. I mean, one of the problems is like you know, when I'm looking at my cast, Akavasha is one of the more diverse characters, and she's like you know not all that in it because she's the really old vampire, so she doesn't really show up very often. But yeah, yeah you're really it good is. with the vampire Americans. Yes, yeah, so they need that representation. <laughs> I don't even know. Does she even count as American? Like, I don't think she's a citizen. She's from, she's from like Egypt, isn't she? No, uh, she's from Stygia. Uh, Akavasha is fascinating to me because uh, some of my characters are public domain characters. Um, I, I've actually stolen them. Like, for instance, there's a real Mercy Brown. Huh. Like, Mercy Brown was an actual human being who existed, and she died. And she's, if you look up the book Food for the Dead, uh, there's like a whole thing in Rhode Island about the vampires in Exeter. Like, I didn't, I didn't make that up. That's folklore. People in Rhode Island have been saying this for like a hundred years. 
that there are vampires in Exeter. So I just said, okay, there's vampires in Exeter. Okay, I want to hear and, this story because that is, you are a treasure trove of weird shit. Yeah. And, the, the book, <laughs> which the makes sense considering if you're coming from Rhode Island, which I know absolutely yeah. nothing about. Yeah, Rhode Island is, you know, it's the whole Lovecraftian thing is pretty big there. Although a lot of Rhode Islanders don't know about it. It's one of those weird things. Lovecraft is more famous outside of his state than he is in it. But, uh, yeah, the, the actual case, the Brown family, you know, one of their daughters died. Her name was Mercy. And people did, came up with this whole thing about how there was proof that she was a vampire. Like the vampires had killed her and so forth. Uh, obviously, this is not real. I'm not arguing that there actually is a vampire, but there was a real Mercy Brown. She was a real person, and there's been folklore about it since the like 1880s. And when I decided to put vampires in the book, I decided to use that because, you know, it's a Rhode Island thing. And then I said, but I want to tie into other writers as well. One of my favorite writers growing up was uh, Robert E. Howard. Mm -hmm. And so I stole one of his vampires from one of his Conan stories because, again, it's public domain. So Akavasha is actually a character in Howard's novel, The Hour of the Dragon. She's a real, you know, I didn't make her up. I did change her because I didn't like how Howard wrote her. Um, that's one of the things. Well, that's one of the things that's the problem with all these writers, that Howard with Lovecraft with all of them, mm -hmm. is the racism. Mm -hmm. The racism's a pretty big deal. That's one of the things Faceless is about, is about racism. It's about how people can just knee-jerk justify what they're doing with like you know really they don't even realize they're doing it they don't even understand that they're being you know biased they think they oh, i'm calling it like i see it and it's like well you see it wrong and that's <clears throat> between the two of them but, howard was much less racist than lovecraft howard believed that everybody was bad but you matt know? the cthulhu worshipers are just having a difference of opinion yeah, well, uh, it, it, it is one of those things that it is. I mean, it's one of the things when they, they had the uh, – they, they there was a talk a while back about a Lovecraft Award and how they should change it to, like, another writer because of Lovecraft's racism and so forth. And I remember when I was, like, listening to that debate, I was thinking to myself, you know, I never even really thought about how insidious it is. Like, his the, the outside – the fear and hatred of the things that are different – really affects the, the, the narrative of a lot of these books in a way that I'd never really thought about. And that's one of the things I wanted to do with Faceless. Um, but I, part of the problem is, as a writer, I'm, I'm real white. I mean, I am white. You look at me and I am super freaking white. It is harder for me to talk about racial issues than it is for sexual identity issues because I've got sexual identity issues. Mm -hmm. I know that world. Uh, it's hard for me as a white guy who grew up in the United States to talk about the, the struggle people who aren't white have there because I've never had it. That's I've totally seen fair. it. I've, I've observed it. But I don't want to tell people, this is your struggle because – We <laughs> got enough do people need? doing that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nick Spencer. <clears throat> yeah, there's lots of – and it is – it's fair to say that the books could definitely improve in that regard, and I would like to improve them. Uh, it's just a question of not wanting to write something inauthentic. And I think the authenticity of the book sort of comes from your sort of lived experience as a bisexual yeah. man. Well, not just that. I mean, I have I have really strong dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. uh, as when I was a kid, I mean, I, I was talking about, about this with my wife today. We were walking and she said something. We were talking about something. I don't even remember what we were exactly. I think we went to a concert last night. It was part of it. And she said something about, you know, you, do, do you see yourself the way other people see you? And I was talking about like, no, 
because in my head, my body image basically formed when I was 15. Mm-hmm. When I was 15, I was like maybe five foot three. I weighed like a hundred pounds. If I had a, like heavy clothing on, I if you've looked at like we were in a I was in a band. I played the bass in a band, and I was the guy they made hang around shirtless to be attractive to like people who liked androgynous pretty boys. <laughs> that was me. I was that guy. And now I am six foot two. I weigh about two hundred and seventy pounds. You're like a barbarian. Yeah, I, I my body changed <laughs> over the course of a summer. Like literally this happened to me. And I became a different person, but inside I'm not. Like I don't feel any different. I don't feel like you know, a, a guy in his forties with a beard and you know the the guy I actually am is not like I've it has taken me years to understand this. Like it's one of the reasons that being bisexual is so hard for me to deal with for such a long time because I change so much. I, I, I find what I look like to be terrifying. Like I, I look at myself and I don't know who that guy is. Like it takes me like a, a little while to even stop and go, okay. And that's one of the things that's informed my life. Like every, every aspect of my life, like relationships I've had, the, the people I, you know, the fact that I got married is a miracle. Like, and, it's nothing short of the fact that my wife is a wonderful person that she could help me get through a lot of it. But it's one of those things that you don't see a lot in fiction. You don't see a lot of people. There's not a lot of bisexuals in fiction who are just bisexuals and that's what they are. You know, they always have to make it into like the plot point. It's like, you know, Ooh, she's secretly a bisexual. It's like, like uh, basic instinct where that's like, you know, you know, she's dangerous and evil because she likes to have sex and she's bi. And it's like, Oh <laughs> God, fair, we are sort of dangerous and evil. Yeah. Well, but that's, you know, it's just one of those things that really piss me off. Like, mm. and it's one of the reasons I wrote, I wanted to have a trans person. Although I actually did not intend to have a trans person in nameless. I'll be, I'll be upfront. Like, I did not know that was going to happen. She took on uh, a life of her own, didn't she? She literally that character was supposed to be dead by the midpoint of the book. Like there was n- none of this was supposed to happen. So that that character surprised me like twice in the writing of that book. First that she even existed and secondly that she'd stay alive and and become like I'd say I don't know if I'd say she's like a main character, but it's hard to determine who the main characters are. There's a pretty big cast. Um she's adorable is what she is. Oh yeah, she is, she is adorable. A lot of people like Bri. You have a pretty solid ensemble cast. Yeah, uh, I'd like to say that. You know, uh, the uh, but in terms of like diversity, yeah. The thing is, is it's just I, I see a lot of it done. People just want to have X character, and they don't want to have them do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem it's like you you can't have a diverse cast just to have a diverse cast you have to actually write stories for these people they have to be doing things um it it can't just be look how inclusive i am like okay now what does she do what 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 do they do what does he do you know it's there's got to be something for them to do in the story and that's that is kind of hard to do i I don't know i know that you uh you don't really watch supergirl but boy am i gonna <laughs> I kind of want to like force you to watch it with me and Pete or something like that because I I want to watch you just react to season two when it comes out. But 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 Alex Danvers, Kara's sister on the show, they made her up out of whole cloth for the show. Yeah, season yeah, two, yeah. she finds out that she's a lesbian and she comes to grips with that in a really believable 
way very slowly and has to like you know accept it for herself and there's all kinds of like fear of rejection and all, uh, it, there's it's so good and it's so realistic and like it is so touching to see that and to see the acceptance that Kara and their adopt and and their mother and it just oh my it's I freaking love her and her girlfriend is adorable and they do stuff let me tell you I mean Alex is like a biochemist at the uh, at the DEO which is um, sort of where the uh, the Department of Extraterrestrial Operations or something like that but um, they, they sort of monitor Earth for alien threats and stuff like that and they defend the planet yada yada i did watch like three seasons three episodes of the show Alex I do know danvers the is a fucking action superhero and i just every time she's on screen with maggie is just amazing because they just hang out together they have cute little scenes together and then there's the thing that i call girlfriends with guns where they're just like super action figures and and they both love like cool weapons and tech and stuff like that and they just smile and they're having so much fun it's amazing they love their jobs they're funny they're sarcastic ah oh, i just i love them to pieces really really do well, that's that's interesting because her girlfriend's maggie sawyer right yeah but i have a well, theory they... that she was supposed to be renee montoya because she's hispanic and she had sort of a not very good coming out story and it, it just it just seems like she was totally supposed to be renee montoya well i was just gonna say though like maggie sawyer is a character who was created uh-huh. To basically just be the tough butch the lesbian. lesbian, yeah. And, yeah, and, and do you remember when when Superman was first uh, publishing her, well, and, and Superman could Byrne. never actually see? Yeah, it was John Byrne. He could yeah. never actually say the word lesbian. They weren't allowed to do that in like 1987 or whenever she was introduced. But uh, it was yeah, it was 86, 87. Yeah, it was always Burns like you know, he, Superman would be pontificating on roof, going, you know, she's such a great strong woman. It's a shame that she can't be, you know, like. You know that people don't take her seriously just because she's a, and then like you know there will be a distraction. You know, great Rao. That's. <laughs> I just remember like basically talking about her since you mentioned Renee Montoya. It wasn't until like the, like middle two thousands that those characters got to actually be what they were. I think it's the Batwoman series is when you really get to see Maggie Sawyer actually being Maggie Sawyer. I think it's the first time you really get that, and that's interesting because. I think a lot of there's been a lot of back and forth at DC about this sort of thing. It's really kind of a shame. I mean, Marvel, the America series. Have you seen that one? Not yet. I have a that, limited budget, and I can only afford so yeah. many titles. <laughs> for for all that you know, I'm I have huge problems with Marvel right now. I have yes. Oh, huge. oh, you wanted an angry podcast, buddy. Yeah, but in terms of the America series, at least you've got a character who is you know ethnically sexually and otherwise diverse and the cast is diverse and they're doing interesting things with the ideas whereas for a long time comics wouldn't as you just pointed out like maggie so he would never actually say maggie Sawyer got divorced from her husband and they never explained why it was always just kind of like yeah one flashback scene where she's just sort of looking at another woman in a bar across the way it's like you know needs i couldn't understand like oh my yeah, there was, it's so quaint to look at nowadays. But that's about all you could get away with back then. It's we say it's quaint, but I mean, you you mentioned the Supergirl and the Alex Danvers thing. I mean, you know full well about like there's been people who've been so mad that that show has been on the air that they've like caused fracases in airplanes 
<laughs> I mean, people people to this day don't accept um, things like Nobody that. Nobody cares about your stupid, bigoted opinions. You suck. It, it, they do care, though, and that's the yeah, scary thing. Yeah, I know. That's that's a different topic altogether, but it's... Well, it affects... The thing is, is it affects representation in media, because it, it's why it's important, but more importantly, it's why you have to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's... I don't know. It's like one of the things I've actually struggled with myself. It's like, you know, what, how do I do it? How do I show people being people? Cause that's what you, that's what you're going for. Well, I think it's you not- nailed it by mostly just putting a lot of your own lived experience into it. You were talking about dysmorphia earlier and I, Thomas in the books, definitely it, that's a big part of his life. How he, he just sort of changed overnight. He was the sickly little boy and then he just like, boom, magicked out or whatever. Yeah, and that that is definitely part of his characterization, or f- for that matter, I, a lot of that goes into Bri too, because I'm not trans myself. Well, this she was she was a do. literal monster for yeah, years, yeah. and I posited to you that maybe that's the way that some trans people, or maybe not, you know, I don't know, I'm cis as hell, but just a guess, uh, might be able to see themselves in their bodies as like you know, monsters should not be. They feel like freaks, whatever, and I feel so bad. Like, and and so then you turn her into this amazing girl who has all these awesome superpowers and shit, and is a total dork and loves video games and is just like blatantly asexual, <laughs> like to the point. Yeah. I love that she's just like I don't know how to. What is this? I feel like you know because for all that Bri is a very smart girl. I mean, she's 14 at the, the end of Faceless. Well, not 14, she's 13, but she'll be 14 soon. She's A, she's young. B, she's like smart enough to catch up, but she is playing catch up. And that's important to me that that's not get ignored. Yeah, she did lose she's, years of her life. Yeah, she lost years of her life. And that's the thing that happens to a lot of kids. You see you see this with trans kids all the time, that their their lives get destroyed. They, they're... They're not allowed to transition when they feel it. They're not allowed to do it when their bodies are their most malleable. So they have to just wait. And by the time they get to do it, I mean, they, they're all Pupies sorts of stuff. kicked in. Yeah. yeah. And there's, and every, every trans person is different. I mean, I've, I've spoken to enough of them to know, you know, you don't, not no two people want the same thing out of it. No two people want to be the same way about it. And that's, it's important to you under, to understand that it's, it's as much, it's as much a private, personal thing as any puberty is, because puberty is already terrible. Oh God, I it's, know, right? It is, you know, and you put when you're going through puberty in a body that doesn't make sense to you, why ever it doesn't, and that is the case for so many of us. I mean, even people who are cis, for people who don't who are who don't have cis het people have trouble in our society that is so totally engineered for them. They have trouble navigating it. Now, imagine trying to navigate it in a society that's hostile to you. And that's there's all that. That's one of the reasons that you know I I, I I read comics and think to myself, you know, here's here's an example going back to my own when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite characters was Matt Murdock, uh, Daredevil, yeah. and one of the reasons he was my favorite character, well, one of the two of them, was because of the the concept that he didn't feel fear. And I growing up, I was terrified of everything. I was just incredibly scared, especially, and there's reasons for it. We don't really need to belabor it, but having a character that you can look at and identify with and have that is incredibly important. 
And there's a character, like, I know this is a character you like. Um, a character right now in the Green Lantern comics. Can I talk uh, about Jessica Cruz, Yeah, that's what, I, that's why I was bringing her up. Okay, there is the concept of the Green Lantern. So you're talking about Daredevil, and he's the man without fear. And the difference between him and, say, Hal Jordan, any, any Green Lantern, basically, um, Jeff Johns sort of like tweaked that myth so that it's not that they don't feel fear, it's that they feel it and then they push through it. And I could never really relate because, you know, hello, massive anxiety disorders for the past 12 years. Um, but they introduced Jessica Cruz. And let me tell you about Jessica Cruz. She was out hunting with her friends and I, I don't really know, like, the story here because I wasn't reading Justice League at the time or wherever she was introduced. I came to her through the Green Lanterns series. Um, but basically her friends got killed and she lost her shit and got PTSD and she hid in her apartment for like two, three years. Jessica Cruz has agoraphobia and an anxiety disorder. And the stuff that she was saying in the f like first couple of issues of Green Lanterns was thing they were things that were actually in my head like i wish i was invisible there's so many people around i don't want to be here and i just i think i cried for like two days straight off and on because there's a, a character who was me and as like not only is that really really encouraging to see because i use jessica cruz a lot as a way to help me get through my panic attacks um but it's also from like a Green Lantern mythology standpoint, really cool because the whole point is you're supposed to push through your fear to use your willpower and stuff like that. But what do you do if all you ever feel is fear? Like it's a constant struggle, which means that she is theoretically probably one of the strongest Green Lanterns you'll ever meet because she's always doing that. It's never off. Yeah. And that's... I find that fascinating. When they introduced the character, they actually one of the things he did was actually had her wearing the power ring from the alternate universe, the, right, right. the evil yeah, power the ring. Yeah, and that's and Johns being Johns is since I, I, I Johns is one of those characters, writers who is incredibly inconsistent. He's he really is, good with the characters he relates to. He's he's very hit and miss. Like that, he can come up with something. He can come up with something that he it's really good, and then the next story he does is terrible in the same comic mm -hmm. with the same characters. Uh, he he's just one of those writers. And he's, yeah, he's, but when he's on, he is. Yes, he he's not a hack. He's not a hack. He's not terrible. He's not one of those writers that I will. Like I mentioned, Sean Byrne before, and we're talking about representation. There used to be a, <laughs> there used to be a website called Don't Do It to Me Again. I I want to link to your piece on John Byrne. I'm going to note that. Yeah, just. <laughs> One of the things about Byrne that is just so frustrating is that while he is a good visual artist, um, he says and does some awful things. He is uh, such a dick. Yeah. And, you know, he, of course, doesn't care what I have to say about him because the man has had a successful career for decades. Mm -hmm. But I remember, like, when, when I, in 1986, I was, like, you know, I was born in 1971. So in 1986, when he was doing his comic, when he was taking over Superman, I was, like, 15. And I had been a big Superman fan for years before that, and I was cautiously optimistic about his run on on Superman. I and there loved, are even loved the Man of Steel miniseries when I was, you know, just like a little wee Dana, and I was six years old, learning, yeah. you know, all that. Yeah. Like, wow! I mean, I was <laughs> he draw good. 
Yeah, I thought back then. Yeah, there was a lot to it that I was interested in, and like I said, he introduced Maggie Sawyer, and he was, you know, he at least made efforts in in these directions. But one of the things that the website pointed out was that Byrne has certain tropes, Mm -hmm. and one of his tropes is the concept of, you know, woman can't be strong or heroic until she's been torn apart, and this is something he does. He does this all the time. Like he did it with Sue Storm. He did it with with the Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. He does it over and over again. Um, and it's, yeah, it's they one of always have to be like mentally broken. Yeah, he doesn't and, tend towards physical that much. He's done it like when he was writing Wonder Woman. He went more towards physical because he can't really mentally break Wonder Woman. But he there's like the classic burn hold, which is when like a large holding physical, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. large male is grabbing a woman by the throat the and holding her off the ground. The very first cover of the rebooted uh, post-crisis action comics, what was that, like 582 or something like that? He's He's yeah. got Wonder Girl, like, in Superman's grip, like, held up by yeah. the throat, and it's all over the place. Yeah, and the worst part is that that story is, is a real encapsulation, but the worst one he ever did was a, a action comics two-parter team-up with uh, oh, Big you're, Barda. Oh, I know where you're going. Yep, you yeah. went there. Big Barda and, and Scott Free. I'm not actually going to talk about it too much. I Fortunately, uh, we have our old buddy Linkara actually yeah. reviewed those, so I'm going to link to those comics yeah. because they are just egregiously awful. Oh, my yeah. God. But that's the thing is that that comic is a perfect encapsulation of something Byrne does all the time. Like, he, he simultaneously has both Superman and Big Barda in a situation, and yet Superman is the one to resist because of his strong moral code. Right. Implying that Barda doesn't have any kind of moral code, and he, she can't resist, but Superman can. Didn't he also turn Lana Lang into a manhunter? Yeah, he did yeah. that too. But I don't know but, if that was like editorial decision or if that was... That was editorial decision because there's no way that he, his original story had anything to do with the manhunters. That's that just was not Mike Carlin back then, right? Yeah, but... That was back when you know the editor's interference was much more along the lines of do a do a story event we don't like. Not I'm going to be a horrible creep and you're just going to have to put up with me. <laughs> uh, but in, in terms of like what I'm I, I'm kind of rambling here, but what I'm trying to get at is the characters need to be part of it. And we you've been talking about Supergirl. And you and I have been arguing on Twitter about this for a little bit. Not arguing exactly. We've been talking about the character Monel. It's more like I've been bitching yeah. about Monel and you've been going what. What? Well, I, I'm angry that he's even in the show, not ah. because he doesn't deserve to be in the show as the character he actually was, but the character that you're telling me about has nothing to do with Monel. I don't have Mon-El a problem with adaptations, like, or, and, and and like you know maybe using a character not necessarily as they're always portrayed. They did um, Mixes Pitalik earlier, and he wasn't like some tiny little imp guy. He was like super hot. And yeah, but Mixus Fiddlick is but... Mixus is a an, an imp from the fifth dimension. He can look like whatever he wants. If he chooses True. to show up as a hot guy, that's we'll, we'll still pretend that's you know I'm I'm taking that as canon. But Burn like... did that. Burn did that. <laughs> Burn had him show up. That's as right with Lois Lane and, and yeah. the whole like Don Johnson look and the beard. Well, no, and the... <laughs> that was literally that was the Beyonder. I know it was so yeah. funny, and he's given Lois like a foot massage and shit, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, yeah. hello." <laughs> Yeah, so I that's not that what issue. bothers me. I, it doesn't bother me that they changed Monel exactly. It bothers me that what they changed him into, because a you can there's plenty of other reasons to be annoyed by his appearance in the show. We don't need him in the first place. If you you know, I've read lots of articles about it. And he's the most superfluous character on the entire show. But he's not even that. Isn't Monel? 
Like Monel isn't guy who wants to date Supergirl. That makes him. It, it's like at this point you could have named him anything. He could have been anybody. He Isn't, is definitely an original character with a familiar name. Yeah, he's got nothing to do, and that's the the problem I have with inclusion in the first place. It's like if you're going to include a character, they have to be worth doing. Like if you wanted to have a character come in, like I, I've I've read enough of the of the of what's going on in the show to say maybe they have a plot in mind where they're going to have her finally realize no man is worth this. And they did, and then they completely undid it. The next episode on the Flash, completely. Yeah. She went out of her way to say I deserve better than being lied to, and that stuck for all of thirty seconds. And I was so fucking mad because you see yeah, this contrasted with Barry and Iris over on the Flash and their true love and they have earned it and Barry and Iris make each other stronger Iris is there for Barry Barry is there for Iris he fucks up a lot but you know in the end he he helps her want to be better they, they complement each other and then you got fucking white bread McDaxamite and she's just such an asshole to Kara and I don't know what they're doing because every single thing within the narrative says they're not good for each other. She has said out loud, this isn't going to work repeatedly. He just annoys her. He's patronizing. He doesn't listen to her. He has to go to like another male character to say, how should I, how should I react to her? Ask her, you fucking asshole. Yeah, but the, that's Ugh. the thing. That that's perfectly reasonable to to want to do a story where you show that that people don't get over things that fast. I'm fine with like she realizes, you know, I shouldn't be lied to, but then in the next episode she backslides because that happens. But she does but, it every episode. Every yeah, if, episode if, if he it does something every episode, stupid. Yeah, fine. Yeah, he does something stupid, he apologizes, he makes excuses, and Kara forgives him. And that is not the Kara that has been portrayed for the past season and a half. It is not. It was, she is strong and, like, even in, like, the, the clip for the next episode on Monday, she's saying, I'm Supergirl, I don't bend, I don't break, I don't stand down for anyone. And I'm like, have you been watching your own show? Alex is the superhero. I feel oh, yeah, so but... bad because all it does is show that I think I said in my review of this week's episode that it's he's try he, the the narrative is that he's trying to change and be better and this bad boy is redeeming himself for the love of this woman because she inspires him. But the end of that last episode, he had a choice to go back to Daxum and lead his people the way that they should be led instead of the horrible slave-owning monarchy that it was. And he, Which he, is not Daxon, by the way. I know, I know. But the point that was raised was that he had this chance to go back and rule the way that he wanted to and show that he has improved as a person and, and has been inspired by Supergirl and her selflessness. But he stayed on Earth to be with Kara. And I am so pissed about that. Because there's no reason within the narrative for him to be there. If you want to show him redeeming himself, have him go back to Daxum and rule fairly, honestly, kindly. That's Supergirl's influence. Going back to even her death in Crisis, what did she do? Through her own actions, inspired Dr. Light to become a fucking hero. 
that's yeah, Supergirl's power is she inspires people just being around them, just being herself. She makes people want to be better. Well, so that's again, this is my big problem with them using Monel at all because it's not the, it's not him. That's he. If anything, if Monel were actually on this show instead of Vartox calling himself <laughs> Monel, um. Like seriously, that that works for Vartox. That seriously, it Vartox really does. The, it really Vartox does. is the creep who comes from space and and max on your women, and you can't you, get rid of him. Did you read him in Power Girl? Yeah, they they exaggerated <laughs> him amazing. in Power Girl from his original. But uh, exaggerating his, Vartox makes him even better, though. Yeah, his original, but even his original appearance, where he comes to Earth and falls in love with Sean Lana Connery, Lang, and he yeah. he won't go away, and it's just like. <laughs> Even Lana's eventually like Vartox, man. I, this was fun for a while, but you've got to go. I've got a life, <laughs> and you're just crazy. It just when you're trying to do, like, we want a character to be heroic. Vartox at least has a smarmy kind of charm. Monel is just a dick. Well, that's the thing. You want a character to be heroic. Um, they can be heroic in many different ways. Sometimes it's just heroic to stand up and say no. Mm. Like, Sometimes there's an episode of Supergirl you need to see if you want that kind of moment. Well, there's Holy there's crap. lots of different you know even I know you hate the movies. I I know you hate both Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. But in the opening of Batman versus Superman, Bruce Wayne is more heroic in the opening of that movie than he is the entire time he dresses up as Batman. Because he sees the city collapsing, he sees buildings falling down, and he gets in a regular rental car and he drives into the city to his business, to the, the company there, to try and save the people who work for him. Yeah, that's Batman on his own. And the thing is, it isn't Batman; it's Bruce Wayne, and that's well, the no, thing. I'm saying, well, Batman yeah. is Bruce Wayne. I'm saying, yeah, like but, the whole psychological Batman yeah, but, is a protector. Like, but my at point his is core. just that there's that kind of heroism. There's also the kind of heroism, like there's just the heroism of Clark's mother. In that movie, she's just saying, you know, you're, you're my son and you don't owe anybody anything because she's just trying to stand up for her son. There's lots of different kinds you can have in a, in a TV show or a movie or a comic or whatever. But the, the, the one that they've done a lot and it's really kind of getting to the point where it's so old and so, so done to death is this what you're describing with Monel, it's this idea of, you know, he comes around and he's a dick, but he'll learn, he'll learn and grow. Except he never does learn and grow. So you're just kind of like waiting endlessly for him to grow. They had Miss um, Martian in the show and she was a white Martian and she was one of the ones that, you know, annihilated Jean's people, Martian Manhunters in this. And there was a magnificent arc for her where by being around Supergirl and John Johns and Alex and everybody else, she wanted she wanted to be better and be brave and be a hero and you know potentially endanger herself for the betterment of her people, because she was one of the only white Martians who felt guilty about what she was doing, and that's why she was being hunted down on Earth because they wanted to destroy her for being a traitor. She betrayed her entire people because she had a hint of compassion. And that was amazing and incredibly brave. And in the end, she went back to Mars in order to try to, you know, change change her people. Well, Phil, like, to, to use another example, we're going to talk about Young Justice in a little bit then since you mentioned Miss Martian. But, I haven't watched it. Um, oh, well, then I'll get to be the one telling you about it. Okay. But I watched the uh, crossover, the Flash, Arrow, 
Legends uh, Supergirl oh, crossover. I watched part of it. I watched part of that, and one of the things that really bothered me about it was when they decided to not use Supergirl. Yeah, well, because, she's kind of OP. Well, that's the point. Was that was dumb as hell, and the fact that Green Arrow thinks he can tell Supergirl what to do is like just the original Justice League cartoon from the from two thousand four understood that Green Arrow couldn't tell Supergirl what to do. There's well, like you gotta understand, episodes. these are all separate continuities, and they're yeah, different characters. His entire episodes of that show where Green Arrow is attempting to tell Supergirl what to do, and she just looks at him like, what? Like, are you are you crazy, guy with a bow and arrow? Well, uh, Supergirl's me, but... also from another Earth on this show, and, and she yeah, didn't know. really know what was going on, so she deferred to the person who was actually, you know, looked like he had leadership experience. Looked like? I, I'm not a big fan uh... of what he did. Oh, I, I don't I don't watch Arrow <laughs> unless there's a crossover. I I think it's you know Oliver Manpain Queen over there and See, I don't, uh, that, that doesn't bother me when it's like, actual Manpain. I don't like, like Broody. I don't like but, Broody. I, don't. I like. You I, would. I am, <laughs> you are Broody. But it has to be done right. But to go to to use Young Justice as an example, since we were talking about what makes a hero and so forth, the, you had the relationship of Miss Martian and the Superboy, the the clone of Superman. Yeah. And their relationship was pretty much based around the fact that she was a white Martian on that show as well. Um, and when she, she was trying to hide it, that she was ashamed of being a white Martian. Mm-hmm. The white Martians on that show were kind of an underclass on, on Mars. So they were there was like rejection and, and racism involved. And she was terrified to let the, the, the team, the, you know, they didn't call them Young Justice on the cartoon, but she was terrified to let the team see what she really was and she was being blackmailed and as a result when it finally came out that you know she showed them who she really was the only person who didn't react was was superboy and she's like why aren't you he's like i've always known she's like what and he goes yeah since we mind linked in bialia that time i've known i just figured you'd tell me when you were ready and that's the point is that that acceptance is a huge deal it's a huge deal. Like you're talking about the Alex Danvers character, acceptance is a huge deal to allow people to become what they have to be, and that that's <laughs> something you need in fiction as well as in real life. You need to see it. You need to see people being their authentic selves, whatever they are, and being accepted for it. It is important, and people don't understand how important it is because they've had it their whole lives. There's a really great scene when Alex uh, comes out to her mom. And and um, Eliza Danvers, played by Helen Slater, who's flawless. Uh, she's she's basically best mom ever. And she looks at, at Alex and she's like, "Oh yeah, that Maggie girl. Yeah, you're totally lesbian for her. I know." And uh, she's her only concern is whether or not Alex is happy. And Alex is all like, "You don't think it's weird or anything?" And she's like, "We adopted an." alien sister for you and you think that this is the most normal thing you've ever done and i loved it i loved it that was so adorable you have to have those moments uh whatever they are and i i like i haven't like i haven't been watching supergirl so i can't comment on that but in general you you gotta you gotta watch it with me you have to i want to hear your reactions so bad like live as it you know as we watch (laughs) well but it is for like any like we're talking about comics too. Like I, I mentioned before the show, the the Misfits comic. Yes. Misfits, the, the, for all of, of all things, and I'm going to say this up front: that if you had told me I'd like a gem in the holograms comic in the first place, I'd have thought you were literally 
high as balls. Like I have loved Jem since I was just like five years old, and I was so happy when the comic came out, and it was so cool. And they didn't have all the I mean, the cartoon was great because it was batshit and like the misfits were basically murdering everybody but if you had told me that during the course of that comic that I would feel empathy for pizzazz dude oh and Kimber and Stormer totally gay and I love it yeah and Stormer is also one of the things that it it's really rare to see and it's something I I was reminded by my wife that I haven't done is that Stormer is straight up a fat girl mm-hmm. and they the book doesn't shy away from it you know, they have different body types. They have people I love going that. through being Sophie fat. That's Sophie Campbell right there. You know, and it's really just, if in right now in 2017, there are almost no comics that have a fat character of any kind in them. Yeah. Uh, I and, think Wonder Woman has Etta Candy who occasionally shows up and is occasionally cool. Then they get rid of her again for twenty issues. What? No. Are you crazy? She's. I like... haven't seen. Like, I have not been reading the new. <gasps> Oh my god, you're in for a treat. But um, one of the things that really... Uh, I used to read Legion of Superheroes a lot. That's one of the reasons I'm annoyed that they use Monel on Supergirl. Because I, I have a, a vision in my head of of these characters. And it's the Legion. It's the Paul Levitz Legion from you know the Great Darkness Saga. That's the best Legion story ever. That's the Legion of Superheroes. I should have gotten uh, Sterling in on this episode. He would have loved at, talking to you about that. As as a result of that, there was a character named Chuck Tane. Oh, bouncing, bouncing boy! Bouncing boy, whose power sounds ridiculous. The dude bounces. <laughs> I love That's his how- origin, where he just sort of accidentally drinks this potion. And yeah. it, wait, wait. But what's hilarious is that he finishes the whole bottle as soon as, like, you take one sip, you realize it's not the soda you're drinking. You spit it out, right? No, he uh, just downs the whole fucking thing. He downs the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it's- the Silver Age. They were fairly, like, he was it for fat characters. There are not a lot of them. There are relatively, like, there's Blob from, like, the X-Men, and he's almost always a horrible villain who eats people. They so, have um, a character named Faith who's a superhero. Yeah. And like I haven't one, really, I haven't really one, read right? it. The, yeah, the I know. The concept didn't one. really, you know. But there's, there's, like, one of the things that comics will, will never really get away from is that these are idealized people mm-hmm. and that's but at the same time like someone recently showed me a, like a, an issue of x-men where it, it's like a it's a shot of storm musing on the problems of mutant refugees trapped in a hell dimension and how mm-hmm. they've had to live there because they're afraid they'll be killed if they live on earth because there's a poison cloud floating around and the shot lingers on storm's ass like you wouldn't believe <laughs> i'm sitting there going you know if this was an actual documentary <laughs> and it lingered on storm's ass that much like, somebody would be getting fired. The cameraman would be like, dude, what the hell's wrong with me? I am really pissed off at Marvel right now. You know, Marvel does. Marvel at this point has been doing so many things that we could... The idea of Captain America as a secret Nazi, or, I'm sorry, since, since Nick Spencer has gone to pains to tell me that Hydra aren't Nazis, they're just... There was a Nazi faction of Hydra, but these Hydra guys aren't Nazis. They're just fascists who want to take over the world and rule it like gods. Look... You're not, like, a baker who joins the KKK and still call yourself just a baker, you know? 
I don't you don't have to be a Nazi to be horrible. I mean, if you're a fascist who wants to world domination, you're still evil. It's not it's not better. And this is happening in real life now. And it's like, why? We read comics for escapism, you fucking asshole. I'm perfectly fine with doing a story that deals with real life issues. But I just want to see the good guys win because it's just so horrible lately. I, but the the idea of like, uh, there's been lots of, cr- of talk back and forth on it. We, you and I have talked about it. You know, we talked to K- to Kay about it. And the um, but not it's not just bad because you know Captain America was a creation of Jewish creators directly to attack Nazis. It's that's not that's bad, but that's not the the only reason why. It's not bad because he's a Jack Kirby character, and Jack Kirby is so anti-fascist that he created Darkseid. Darkseid, who is literally the god of fascism. <laughs> I like and that. An anti-life equation isn't killing people. The anti-life equation was always about making people Control. lack yeah. free will. Because yeah. that's the opposite of life, is when other people run run it for you. Uh, and for all that, you know, I know you don't like Ray Morrison, but at least Morrison got that right when he did Final Crisis. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean it's not that he doesn't get other characters. It's just that he does whatever the fuck he wants. Well, I... I we could have a discussion about that, but yeah. it would take gut. But nevertheless, Spencer's Captain America has been so wrong-footed. It's simultaneously extremely well-written at times and terrible because he keeps doing these ham-fisted, wrong-footed things. His his attempt to do a Ferguson comic. Oh, I don't want to know. Oh man, he he's been writing like he's been writing the uh, this the Captain America, you know comic for Sam Wilson. The Sam Why is Captain, a white uh, man writing Sam Wilson? Well, well, you know, for that matter, you know, Jack Kirby wrote Black Panther, right? I it's, know, but Jack Kirby at least did it because he gave a shit, you know, like I don't I've, Spencer probably actually does give a shit. That's the thing. He acts all trying, woke on Twitter and then he just sits around and defends punching Richard Spencer. Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of people who who uh my point is, I'm not. I don't want to get into a, a dissection of Nick Spencer because I don't know Nick Spencer and I don't care. I'm not trying to, to judge Nick Spencer as a human being. I can judge him on his public that's, statements. You, that's you. You do that. Fine. I, <laughs> I, I don't. That's not what, I, what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that when he writes the comics, there's they're wrong-footed. They're, they come off without an understanding of what made the characters interesting or compelling in the first place. Uh, Sam Wilson was an interesting, compelling character because he was always the antithesis without being the opposite of Captain America. He was a black man who grew up in America and experienced racism and poverty, and everything he was came from himself. Um, I mean, granted, there's some horrible stuff with the Cosmic Cube in there, but we're going to ignore that because that was dumb. Do you know what Uh, that reminds me of, though? The relationship between Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen back in the 70s. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of it that's there, but the difference was that you know Sam Wilson actually had an authentic experience with it, whereas oh, yeah. Oliver Queen, Oliver Queen telling you about poverty would be like if you were hanging out with Richard Branson telling you about poverty. <laughs> um, Oliver, it's for all that Kevin Smith has written some comic books that I thought were dumb as hell. Kevin Smith very accurately pointed out when he was writing the Green Arrow comic that you know. When Green Arrow at one point says to Batman, "You guy does that to you, he's either dating you or hazing you," and Batman was like, "What? Those prep schools you went to?" <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like Ollie. When I was ten, my parents were murdered in front of me, and I spent the rest of my life dedicating myself to to battling crime. I would so, love 
love so least... for him to bitch about his dead parents <laughs> in front of like Superman or Supergirl. Well, the thing is, is for Superman, you know, it's just for, at least with Batman and Superman, Superman's like the, the most understanding person imaginable. So he'd just be like, "Yes, Bruce, it hurts. I'm sure. I'm well, sure Supergirl, it's very painful." Like she lost everything, and, and she was like aware of it. You know, Superman was a baby; he was raised on Earth. He never lost Krypton. She did. Yeah, well, she it depends like too on the version of Supergirl. Huh? Depends on the version of Supergirl. Most versions nowadays come from the she was older thing, whereas the original story she was like the re- she was raised on a chunk of kryptonite. I actually kind of miss the Argo City that used to be floating around on a chunk of kryptonite. They still, you, they still keep the whole narrative of she was still a child on Krypton. She oh, still yeah. experienced Kryptonian life. She was raised in Kryptonian culture. She knows nothing of Earth culture. She yeah, had to before, assimilate. Before it was actually even worse because she wasn't raised on Krypton. She was raised on a chunk of radioactive rock that was going to kill her. Yeah, but it was good to simplify it for the show. But uh, Nevertheless, they, they didn't just simplify it for the show. They simplified it in the comics, too, because they couldn't he couldn't keep using that one but that's not my point is just with with like sam wilson as a character he shouldn't be representing like you know you shouldn't have him up there saying violence is never the answer because it's one of those situations Sometimes where a very very justified they're superheroes violence is what they do um i'm sorry they're they the do. original social justice warriors when you have like you know you have captain america as a fascist, it's like, no, have a different person wearing the costume so he can come back and punch that guy. Don't have it be... Didn't they do that in the 70s? Uh, no, they, what they did in the 70s, he gave up the costume for a while, but nobody took it up. He just called himself Nomad. But no, the, there was some other dude that was Captain America, and there was like yeah, this Yeah, that's whole not the like, 70s. That's the like late 80s, early 90s. That's uh, Mark Grunewald. I, I straight up know what you're talking about, because it's the guy that became U.S. agent. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah that was that was, was USA. That was the first time that the Red Skull came back in a in a clone body of Captain America. Like oh that's Grunewald. I've I've read the whole Grunewald run. It got real weird. But at no point <laughs> That's all no of point, comics at some point they all get real. At weird. no point did Steve Rogers ever like willingly be, you know, in, yeah, I know the Cosmic Cube changed reality, so they grew up completely differently. But that's the point: is he was always the character that so was so morally, you know, upright that even reality changes couldn't change him. I know. You know, and that t- that's the reason the Cosmic Cube was originally used by Kirby in the first place. This was the one guy who was both morally and ethically strong enough that when exposed to the to lure of the cosmic cube said no to it. Well, that's the thing about the uh, comics in general is that they've been like the serial story for so long and they've gone through so many permutations and there's been so many different continuities that you could argue that any interpretation is valid, but also haven't they sort of like taken on a life of their own? Like there is an essential core to every superhero. And it just, when it's wrong, you can tell. You can tell when it feels wrong. When Jodie Picoult was writing Wonder Woman as like this naive waif who doesn't understand gas pumps and and cried because Steve said something kind of mean to her. And I was just like, what is this shit? And that was the first time I stopped buying Wonder Woman. And man, is it good now. Oh my god. It is amazing now. It, it just there is a general like certain characters like for instance um, for me one of the biggest times that comics did that to me was the nineties when uh, 
a guy named Ron Mars was writing Green Lantern. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm a big Hal Jordan fan for much the same reason I was a big Matt Mur- Murdock fan. Hal Jordan is a character who basically, because I, he existed, I am not dead. Like he, because I had those comics to read, because I had that character to look at, I didn't kill myself. Although I then later tried to kill myself. That's not important. Well, that that, uh, that really sells it, Matt. Yeah, I'm not trying to. <laughs> no. But when when in the '90s they basically had him murder the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. I. For all like I said, I've always said that Jeff Johns is an inconsistent writer, but at least Johns understood this basic premise. Hal Jordan wouldn't do that. So it was Hal Jordan, yeah. the guy who, when the Manhunters framed him for destroying a planet, and he, you know, even though he knew he hadn't done it, submitted to an intergalactic court, and was like, "All right, you know, try me, and if you find me guilty, fine, I'll I'll pay the penalty." And they were like, "You, but Hal, you didn't do it." He goes, "Yes, but you know, we got to respect the system, man." That was Hal Jordan. <laughs> You know, this is not he's a guy who then. A cop. Yeah, but he's not the guy who murders his all well, his coworkers because the guardians won't let him use his power ring to recreate everybody who died when his city got blown up. It's like they were they weren't even saying this is forbidden by Grant, by Lantern Law. They're like the ring can't do it, man. Well, they said like you know that yeah. was that was the moment when Parallax infected him was when he lost yeah. everything in Coast City. But that's again that's that's when Johns came along and fixed it because Mars just had him go crazy. And attack the Green Lantern Corps and, and steal their power rings and kill Sinestro in front of the power battery, blah, blah. I much- take it you approved of that retcon. <laughs> I, I approved oh, of the retcon just because it didn't make any frigging sense. It was it was so bad that when other writers took over, and I, I, I'll, I'll flat out say that I like Kyle Rayner quite a bit. I think he's a very good character. Uh, and a lot of the reason I like Kyle Rayner is, is um, Grant Morrison. Because when Grant Morrison was writing JLA, he had Kyle Rayner in there as Green Lantern, and he flat out had people say to him, you know, Hal's problem was that he was never afraid of anything. You, you still, you get out here and you use that ring, even though you're terrified. You know, and that's, that's heroic. That is a heroic thing. To feel fear and overcome it is inherently heroic. Yes. If you're not afraid of anything, if nothing ever bothers you, if you're just always upbeat, always happy, always positive, there's no heroism involved. Because you're not overcoming it. But the overcoming it has to actually happen. And it has to you make sense. You can't just have, like, one of my biggest problems with, since we talked about the Nick Spencer thing, one of my biggest problems with this Captain America is there's no overcoming. There never actually is victory. Yeah, it's it, just victory been so can, relentlessly bleak over at Marvel. Victory can take a long time. But it has to happen. The biggest problem I have with Civil War 2, the fact that they even did it was a problem, but... The biggest problem I had with Civil War II was that lack of, you know, it's, whenever you do the big heroes fighting heroes thing, nobody wins those. Even, it's not like in the old days where Marvel would have Thor and the Hulk fight, and that was different because it was just an misunderstanding and eventually they'd they'd clear it up. Oh, that's such a trope that I sort of love and hate at the same time. Yeah, but at least it was like, it was goofy and, you know, it was really just there so comic book fans could argue over who, whether or not Thor should have won that fight. (laughs) But that's the point. It was, it was lighthearted. It wasn't about like, we're going to have Captain, Captain Marvel and and Iron Man fight. It's like, (laughs) that was was sort of the premise of the uh, Amalgam crossover in the 90s, wasn't it? The Amalgam crossover. That's how they started it, and then they basically just merged everybody. That was and really cool, though, some of those it's, concepts. It's telling that they merged Captain America and Superman. Yeah. 
because they are their respective companies' character of that sort. Well, Superman and also is, sort of the moral centers of those universes. Well, yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying. Um, Superman is never going to be the character. This is the thing. Going back to like you know, Burn. We were talking about Burn earlier. One of the things Burn did. One of the reasons that the movie Man of Steel has the elements that it has in it is Burn, because that movie is directly it's directly based on Burn's run, and the fact that he has you know Zod, Feora, and Jaxer killed at the end of the of that comic. And I don't. I'm not spoiling it for you because the comic came out in 1988. Um, Superman Yeah, and he has him kill them. Mm-hmm. And that's – it's really hard to talk about this because one of my favorite Superman comics of all time is a trade paperback called Exile, which deals with like – it's a bunch of – it's basically uh, Roger Stern and other writers basically trying to deal with the fallout of what Byrne did. Which is absolutely great because that would fuck Clark up really, yeah. really bad. And they dealt with it and he had yeah. guilt about it and it still fucks him up to this day. That's well, fantastic. Well, yeah, but, you know, like, generally, you you kind of feel like it would, you know? No, that was the thing, is, like, when you do something like that, that's my biggest problem, like, I I do like Man of Steel as a movie, but my biggest problem with it is the fact that they ended on that note. Mm. And then you kind of have to, like, the next movie shouldn't have been, let's punch Batman for a while. The next movie should have been dealing with what the hell you just did. And unfortunately, Zack Snyder is never going to be the director. And again, I've liked both these movies. I've I have enjoyed Zack Snyder's movies so far, but he is never going to be the director who can actually deal with like a heavy subject and get you from the the problem to the denouement to the victory. Okay, but the other problem is that it was the medium itself that was an issue because you you had almost two years of Superman. You, you had two years to get to know this new Superman, this rebooted Superman. You got to understand what kind of person he is. You got to see uh, how he was morally. And and so it was more of an impact in Superman 22 when he did kill uh, uh, Zod and Jaxor and Feora because you knew that that was like something he would never, ever, 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 ever do under even the worst circumstances, and these were worse than the worst circumstances. They killed a fucking planet, you know? Like, yeah. this was... Well, the whole premise, yeah, the whole and, premise was that the reason he did it was because there wasn't anybody else to to pass judgment on them. Right. There wasn't any other authority. There wasn't anybody there but him. And if he left them alive, they could come to his world and do the same thing. And they were more powerful than he was. Yeah, so... They, they, it, it, but. I'm saying, like, there's a difference between having maybe an hour and a half to get to know a character and having two years to get to know a character. Yeah, but it was more of a punch in the comics. Let's be completely honest. You don't need an hour and a half to get to know Superman in a movie. Uh, This is my big problem with the fact that they keep doing origin stories in movies in the first place. Sometimes you need them, but you do not need Spider-Man's origin. You at least don't need them, like, once every ten years. Yeah, you do not. The, you can do a Spider-Man movie right now. You do not need to reboot it and start him off. Like you know, show him get bit by this. Nope, because we know what happened. We, you could do. You is, could do Spider-Man in a voiceover. You know, when I was fifteen, I I got bit by a spider, and I was selfish about my powers, and my uncle Ben died, and I've spent the past couple of years making up for it. If you want to have that, have it as a flashback halfway into the movie. Yeah. But because, but that's like again, we're talking about like you have to have the. The whole point of heroism is that it, it comes in many different forms and shapes, and that's the thing about diversity in general when you're trying to have diverse heroes, is you, you have to recognize that for one person, 
like X action is heroic, but for another person, just being alive is heroic. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about Jessica Cruz, the fact that Jessica Cruz even gets up in the morning is heroic. Oh my god! Because I know, like it was, who... it wasn't. Was it wasn't about... just that she, her family got. It wasn't just that the hunting trip. It was how it went down and how she tried dealing with it afterwards, and people broke into her apartment. Oh shit. Yeah, there's actually, like, for once I'm going to say this, you should go read the Jeff Johns original stories in Justice League if you can find them. I need to, because well, she, they're on Comixology and I'm willing to buy yeah. them, but I need to find out, like, which specific issues they are. So if you can, like, email me later, like, the actual issue numbers, I'll put them on my Comixology wish list. But, like, she went through a lot of shit, and the fact that she, you know, got up is heroic. I mentioned the Misfits comic. There's a character named Stormer, uh, mm-hmm. who in, in, the, in, the, in the current Misfits character, Stormer is, is a fat girl. And one of the things that they show in the in the most recent issue is that she's like the the, the band is like signed a reality TV contract, so they try to get their career back in show or whatever. Actually, it's the issue before the most recent issue. Okay. The most recent one just came out, and that was about okay. Blaze. This one's about Stormer, and basically throughout the issue, you find out like for all that Pizzazz is a terrible person, like she's mean mm-hmm. and vicious. She's only like that with people who aren't in her group. Oh yeah, like, she's she's committed to her family, to her band, yeah. to the well-being of of the people there's who a, are her people. There's a part of this story where like she's got they've Stormers joined the band and she's like, you know, on stage with them, they're performing and someone in the audience yells, "Gets that whale off the stage." And Sazza's is like, "What did you just say?" Yeah, she she, she, she stops the show. Shit, it's amazing. She stops the show and she's like, "What did you just say?" I wasn't talking to you and she just jumps off the stage and assaults the man. She ends up going to jail and they, they bail her out and Storm is like, look, you can't just assault anyone who insults me. And she turns to her and goes, yes, yeah, I, I can. can. <laughs> I love that yeah. moment. And that's the thing. It's even so much a character- better than just the straight up fucking crazy murderous pizzazz from the cartoon. I love oh. the life that is in the, these characters now. Well, that's the thing though. It's one of the things you have to try and do is like, even with villains, you have to try and find the the reality of the motivation of why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Because heroism is a big part of heroism is looking in yourself, seeing those things that are in there, and and not doing the wrong thing with them. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons Superman is heroic is quite simple. Uh, Superman could rule us as a god. They did that storyline. Yeah, and he doesn't do it. <laughs> the fact that every day Superman wakes up. Uh, looks in the newspaper, sees the horrible things humans do to other humans, and manages to restrain the urge to just fly, you know, to the White House and declare himself king of the Earth is a heroic thing. I give 100% credit for that to Jonathan and Martha Kent. Yeah, and... He was raised by some of the... by, by the two most moral people on the the face of the, of the DC universe. Seriously. I think- they are certainly that, but the thing is, is that their morality is rooted in the basic understanding of, you know, Clark, life is going to be hard for you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing people don't get, is that the heroism is, the reason Batman is heroic is that he is not because he goes around and punches criminals at night. That's not where his heroism comes from. His heroism comes from the fact that he doesn't hesitate to stop and help people in ways that are not violent. There's an issue of Catwoman um, that Will Pfeiffer wrote back at uh, that storyline pre-52 where, where she gave birth and, had, and, and he comes in and he takes a look at the baby and he just holds the baby and just sort of, well, I can't remember if he holds her or he just stares at her. But anyway, um, Selina's looking at him and she's like, that's the thing that people don't get about Batman. He's not some like Dark Avenger kind of guy. At his very core, 
He's about protecting the innocent so nobody ever has to feel the pain that he felt ever again. And that is Batman. Well, it's the, and it's the case for a lot of characters. I mean, the, 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 for, to use an example of a character that I like and I know you don't, we go, go back to Hal Jordan, mm-hmm. who in many writers' hands is an incredibly stiff and unresponsive character. Mm-hmm. And then like a lot of other writers decided to make him tortured and uncomfortable to, to compensate for it. <laughs> but the core, of, the core of Hal Jordan has always been somebody who, when given the chance, when, when someone said, here, I'm dying, take this and help people, he did. Mm-hmm. And it didn't benefit him in the, in the slightest. It made his life hell. He, he, he got nothing from this. But that's who he was. He was a, you know, his fearlessness came entirely out of that sense of, you know, I can do this, so I have to. Yeah, and originally a lot of the ring didn't really choose him. Yeah, Abensor right. just kind of like handed it to the first guy, didn't he? He was, he wasn't, there's the thing is, there were other people on Earth who were just as good candidates to be Guy Green Gardner Lantern as he was. was supposed to be. Guy, Guy Gardner was, was the guy who was, you know, the only reason it picked Hal was because he was closer. Mm-hmm. John Stewart was, when he picked John Stewart for alternate, John Stewart was just as qualified to be Green Lantern as Hal Jordan. That was the point, is that anybody, like not anybody, but there are people who could do this job. And Hal was just fortunate enough to be the one there. And he, But when given that opportunity, he stepped up. There's... That can be the case. Like the reason that Wonder Woman was always heroic wasn't that she punched people in the face. I mean, she did, but that wasn't the heroism. The heroism was that, you know. And I know we're getting back into some weird stuff with her origin, but nevertheless, Wonder like Woman is a character. <laughs> Wonder Woman is a character that's about, you know, sure I can I can punch you in the face, but I will absolutely offer you peace first. Make a hawk a dove. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I will, you know, straight up, we can, we can work this out. We can resolve that things can be peaceful. No, you're going to shoot at me. All right. Then I'm going to come over there and I'm going to kick the living crap out of you. But they I did a lot of that into Supergirl on the show. I've noticed that throughout the show, the first thing she does when she's confronted with a villain is try to see their point of view, try to like communicate with them. And then if they're going to come after, you know, people and hurt people, then she's going to be like, all right, superpower time. Well, that's the thing is like a lot of, the reason that heroes are heroes is because when they have a lot of the same motivations as villains. Like, if you have a good villain in a story, their motivations are reasonable. You can understand them. You can look at what they're saying and doing and go like, yeah, I guess I can get why you might feel that way. Um, one of the reasons that Lex Luthor has been such an off-and-on villain is that in the right hands, his, his views on Superman make sense. Like, the idea that, you know, this guy comes here and he's from another planet he can do anything he wants to us we have to be afraid of that guy we have to be ready you, well, you get that you get that, that fear of the alien and that's that's more of general lane's perspective lois's dad is that, that oh, yeah. whole fear of the other and and that was batman's motivation right in in dawn of justice uh well it was so, kind of that but it was very much like well i mean comedy. it was justified because it's like look at what you did to the city you idiot yeah well it was really more that that's a hard one to sell because that was Zod, that wasn't him. But nevertheless, yeah, but still, you get why why people would feel that way. But the difference between a hero and a villain is that the hero overcomes the base instincts, whatever they are. Heroes don't give in to that. There's whether a it's, line. There's a line that Kevin likes to post. Uh, uh, it's a panel from uh, I don't remember which issue of Ms. Marvel it is. Ms. Marvel's great, um, but Kamala is sitting there saying, "Good is not a thing that you are." It is a thing that you do. And 
being good and helping others and overcoming prejudices and bigotry is a conscious choice that people have to make every single day. You don't just like, you know, say, it, it, it's, it's something that you have to improve on every day. It's not something that can stagnate. You are always learning. And the problem I think with villains is that they choose not to learn better. They have an ideal of how things are supposed to be and they want it to stay like that. Well, yeah, I mean, you can see that in actual like life too, for that matter. One of the well, yeah, one of the I, things I, that's I, very I was terrifying about real life. Yeah, but one of the things that's terrifying about certain people is their love for a place that never existed is so strong that they'll sacrifice real life people here and now mm-hmm. on the altar of a place that never was in the first place. As long as everything yeah. is fine for them and everything yeah. stays fine and nothing ever changes, you know that's good there's that concept in um i might have mentioned this on another podcast because it feels really familiar and i know you were talking on the last lore cast about uh um david eddings and, and sparhawk and that was really cool and i liked hearing that but um david eddings has uh the series the belgariad and the malorian and at the end of the malorian um there's this whole speech about the difference between you know good and evil light and dark is that uh, darkness, it, there was a really good turn of phrase, it was like, darkness crouches in a perceived perfection and wants to preserve that, and light changes every single day. And that's really the essence of good and evil, is good changes and evil doesn't. Well, I mean, for, for me at least, just from personal perspective, one of the things that I find most... I, I When I was, like, when I was, like, 15, 16, I said I had a growth spurt. I changed physically. And one of the things that happened, um, when you go from being five foot three or four to six foot two, people don't recognize you. Mm-hmm. They do not know who you are. Um, so I went to school when I was 16, and uh, I found a guy, the guy who had basically bullied me the most. And, and this is a guy who literally held my face in a puddle of mud until I passed out. I should tell like you I the was, dandelion story. Yeah, I was going to die. Like, he left me there gasping, like, you know, for terrified. So I found him. I basically said something to the effect of, hey, you want to buy some weed? Because I knew that he would go for it. And got him to come around to the corner of the school with me. And then I beat him. Very badly. Yeah, but Matt, and, you, you know that that and, was wrong. Exactly, but that's what I'm getting at, is that I understand the urge. You know what I mean? There, there's the difference between like a, a, a hero character and just a person or a villain, because I was a villain in this moment, mm-hmm. is that you know everybody has the potential to do the wrong thing. Yes. And Evil doing the wrong easy. thing. Yeah, doing the wrong thing happens. It happens to her to heroes. Batman has done the wrong thing. Superman has done the wrong thing. Um, there was actually a really good, and this is an old Superman story, but um, there's there's an old story where he basically kidnaps a guy, knocks him unconscious, takes his life over, and then this is all in the in the, the proceeds of making that guy's life better. But he does impersonate that man while while keeping him locked up in a room. Basically, you know, you, you read this comic and you're thinking to yourself, my God, Golden Age Superman is is crazy. 
Like, what are you doing? You're, you kidnapped a dude and you hit him in like a room for a while so you could – sure, you fixed his life, but you did it by – he's never going to be able to replicate any of this. After you're done, people are going to expect him to be super strong and super fast and be able to do all the stuff you can do, and he can't. I think you're crazy, Superman. But but the point being that, you know, it's easy to do – like, you know, it's easy to abuse people. It's easy mm-hmm. to – and you, you might even think you're right to do it. You know, you, like you, maybe you they look, deserve it. You, you find ways to make them, to other them. You, when yeah, you find I, ways to other a person and not find some sort of common humanity in them, it, it, it becomes real easy to treat them not as human beings. And one of the things that, like I mentioned that Misfits comic, because that Misfits comic really is great because it shows you these people are not heroic like the misfits aren't heroes i mean gem gem and the holograms are the heroes of that universe but it shows you these people as people Mm -hmm. like you actually get to see you know why is pizzazz the way she is well because she had a real crap life and her dad doesn't care about her and yada yada and And that's she wants a family that's that's the core of pizzazz that you yeah. know, you never saw that in the cartoon. It was in 1985, and it was a the cartoon was about a robot. You know, the cartoon was about a holographic computer system, for God's sake. You know, the, the, the yeah, the, but it was fun, and it was you well, know. You, here's the thing: you can contrast the Gem comic book to the movie Gem that they made. Refuse to watch it. I yeah. want nothing to do with that. But that's the point: is the movie Gem doesn't. The, there's a problem with adaptation that gets to the heart of this. One of the reasons that I'm so mad about the Museum on L the way they have is that. You have to look at the character's heart, like the for essence, lack of a better word. Like I was saying, yeah. What do, What do you want the character to do? Using Mon L as the as the nice guy, and I'm putting nice guy TM. in air quotes here. Um, in a Supergirl, you know, first off, Mon L shouldn't even be interested in her because in the original stories, of course, Mon L is effectively a, an adopted cousin in the family. Yeah, the that's not even his real name. Yeah, his name is Largan. And they named his dad that on the show, yeah. and I was like, well, that's going to be weird. No. Mon L is it's a name that Superboy came up with for him because on well, Monday, yeah. Yeah, we found you you landed on Monday and you obviously the last name would be L, so yeah, Mon L, sure that works. And but fine, that's that's not the case in the cart in the TV show. And the TV shows have like They don't even explain that. Yeah. Like he's from another planet. Why would he have the family name? Yeah. TV shows have their own different um takes on these things like the flash tv show did savitar but did it completely differently from the mark wade version that's fine um but they got gorilla grod right oh i'm so happy they did i was watching you know what my favorite part of the musical crossover was when i was watching martian manhunter vibe and kid flash fight a villain together and i was like this is the coolest fucking thing i'm i'm like I'm five years old again watching this shit. Like, I'm watching these superheroes on TV and it looks so good and the VFX team is so great and I'm just like, ah, I'm just a little girl and it's great. Well, it's, you know, it's... We could talk a long time about Vibe, actually, because I, I have feelings about the original Vibe. But... Yeah. Uh, just, I got I got so many jokes if you're going to go there and I'll just stop right yeah, now. Yeah, no. <laughs> I understand. His original name is going to be Power Glide. But anyway, um, no, it's... The, the thing about adaptation is you have to, like, not only do you have to get that essence right, you have to know why you're doing it. Like, why did they introduce this character? Why is he in the show? Um, Young Justice did a really great job of this. Young Justice actually was really much based around the legacy idea. So you had, like, for instance, you had Roy Harper then as Arsenal, 
but you also had him as Red Arrow. Mm-hmm. Like they actually had two different characters. One was awesome, was Red Arrow because of cloning, but they, they it actually worked on the premise of the show. The Superboy character started off antagonistic towards Superman. Like Superman didn't want anything to do with him because he was a clone, and it freaked him out. But then he, by the end of the first season, he came to terms with it and the clone, and he, he they had like a brotherly relationship, mm-hmm. and it was really well it was well done, and. When done right, that kind of stuff works really well. You can you can show these characters and use them to talk about different kinds of things, different kinds of heroism. Like and that's the thing that you know, we said we I said it earlier. Like, you know, for some people, just being alive is a heroic act. Um, like Stormer in the the Misfits character. And those people store. deserve to see that in the media yeah. that they consume. And, and it doesn't. I, I'll just say this. I'm actually. I used to be really negative on the. Uh, the, the current run of Thor. Mm-hmm. Not because I cared that Thor was a woman. That was fine by me. I didn't like that Thor wasn't Thor. I've never liked it when they do that. Because Thor is an actual person. Mm-hmm. You know, Thor is a... is it's, it's not a title. It's not like... I'd be fine if tomorrow Sharon Carter became Captain America. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. I'd have no problem with that. I liked when Sam Wilson became Captain America. I like that Tony Stark can stop being Iron Man and someone else can be Iron Man. Like Rary Williams right now. That's cool. I don't have any problem with that. I'm mad that they killed Rhodey off, in fact. Oh, I don't uh, want to start with that. But, but I didn't like that they replaced Thor the way they did because whenever they did it in the past, it was always bad because it made Thor less interesting. It's like if if Thor is not identity, it's just something you can pass around. But I've I've mellowed on it because they kept Thor around even as they had someone else using the hammer and mm-hmm. you know, we, we found out who she was and it's it's an interesting story. Have they explained I, yet? I only read like the first six issues, but have they explained oh, yeah. like why Jane can control the hammer the way she does? Uh because she's worthy. Awesome. Yeah, but it's like different it's like a different worthy. And I really no, love the concept that this is she's fighting cancer and she still chooses to be Thor even though that like she'll get chemo and then she'll mm-hmm. turn into Thor and, and it it it'll, it'll completely magical. undo it. And so she'll make yeah. no progress. She's going to die from this and she still presses on and I really love that. Yeah, there's a lot I mean there's a lot in there about honoring the character too. Like she she isn't one of the reasons she's doing it is because she did love him. And she still, it's not like a, at this point, it's not romantic, but you know, this is someone that you've loved and it's you devotion. honor that person. Devotion. I wouldn't even say devotion. It's it's like, it's almost familial. It's almost like, you know, we've been through so much. I won't let you lose this. I won't let you of all people think this of yourself, whatever we are to each other. Now we were this once and I won't let go of it. That's the thing about love in general. People always forget. That love, there's a reason that certain languages have hundreds of words for love Mm -hmm. because it doesn't, it isn't just one thing. You can love somebody, you can love someone romantically and then later on you don't love them romantically anymore, but you still love them because they were important to you. They were part of your life. Yeah, my best friend Pat and I, we've known each other since 1998. We were screwing for like three years off and on and he was, you know, he was my first and to this day... I mean, that's all. I'm not remotely like sexually attracted to him or romantically attracted to him at all. But we have such a bond, you know, me and Pat, and and to this day we take bullets for each other. And well, he's a really stand-up guy, and I'm he he's really evolved from the person that he was in college, and I'm very proud of him. So if you happen to hear this, Pat, love you, man. Well, that's and it's the thing about the Thor comic book when he he's they've now got the unworthy Thor running at the same time. And they've really dealt with the idea of, you know, what does it mean to lose who you are? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to, like, you know, 
not to look at yourself and not believe in what you are anymore. And they finally came up with like the whole thing as to why Thor decided he was unworthy. What made him unworthy? What did Nick Fury slash the Watcher say to him? I haven't and, really been following that. So yeah, I, the, basically, it, 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 the point is, it isn't even important what it was. The important thing is that they've they've used it as a means to explore these different ideas. And so, when you respect a character that way, you can get story out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it it can be you know, we you could have done like why not have if you were going to have Monel on Super Supergirl. The the key core of Monel's personality is quite simple. He was an earnest guy who came to Krypton because he was doing exploration. He ran into Jor-El, who was like, "You got to get off this planet right now, man! Like seriously, get back in your ship and go." Uh, but what about the asteroid belt? I can't. Now here are some charts. Get out of here. The planet is going to explode. So he he left. Ended up on Earth. Didn't really know who he was. And basically, while trying to be a good guy and trying to be family to this kid he met who has powers like the ones he just developed, he figures, I must be an older brother of him or something, gets a toxicity that will kill him. Mm-hmm. And then he has to spend a thousand years in hell because of it. And he comes out of that and still wants to help people. That's Monel, Not, well, I'm a dick, but you're pretty. So, um, yeah. well, you're not that pretty, I guess. I mean, you're all right. <laughs> No, like, my uh, my this main is me complaint. doing Monel trying to nag him. <laughs> like, yeah. My my main my main complaint was that he she, he doesn't act like she's an inspiration. He acts like she's his reward for being a good boy. And well, I that's really the thing, yeah. But do you know what they did at the beginning of the season that would have been perfect? It would have been perfect training him to be a hero, using Supergirl as the inspiration for other people to become heroic they fucked it up when they hooked them up because she even said my destiny was to come to this planet and watch over my cousin and you know because of time fuckery that didn't happen you know i i showed up too late and he was already a hero so like she didn't have a purpose and she felt like training monel helping him become a hero would sort of fulfill the promise that she made to her parents to do that, to to help cultivate him in, into something that, you know, would be a better person. Which, there was problems with that too, because it didn't really take into account what Monel wanted. And, and the show actually explored that, like, you know, hey, have you thought about asking him if he wanted to be a hero, or are you just trying to See, mold him? And that was what- good. One of the things I read was that originally he didn't want to be a hero at all. Yeah. He was just wanted to hang out. And, like yeah. that could have actually been fine because that's Dev M. <laughs> Dev oh, M is one perfect. of my Dev M is one of my favorite characters because he does not particularly want to be a superhero. He's he's got all the Kryptonian superpowers and he doesn't like when he shows up. He's a dick. God, he is he's like f- Dev M. Yeah, he Dev M showed up. He immediately started screwing with Superboy because he could. It's not like anybody could stop him except Superboy, and even Superboy was too Superboy was too much trying to be a nice guy to stop him. So he could screw with Superman all he wanted. Ended up going to the future, and when he was there, he, he said, you know what? I do have the powers. I do kind of have a moral responsibility to help people, but I ain't doing it like you. <laughs> so he became, a, he became the James Bond of the future. The 30th century version of James Bond, right up to the womanizing. Right up to the, you know, jer- giant jerk with a huge ego. But at least at that point, he was trying to help people in his way. He became a future James Bond. But he, <laughs> Bare minimum the, of decency. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> there was like, there were whole stories about him. There was like a story about him, Monel, and Superboy basically getting into a fight. 
Like that was the the, the thing, and, and the three of them were fighting, and you know, DevM loved it because DevM loves using his powers. He loves. At one point, um, Element Lad had a girlfriend before Element Lad kind of came out as gay, and then Element Lad's girlfriend came out as trans, which was interesting, but it, they didn't do it very well. Uh, but I did like the idea, basically. But DevM hit on her right in front, like on a mission. He's, He's such hitting an on asshole. her. Because he is a giant dick. You could have done that. There's nothing wrong with having Monel there if you're going to have him there at all. Do you want to hear the worst jerk. part? The worst part is that in in the episode where he tells the truth about what happened to him when he was when he got off of Daxum, he was in bed with a girl. His bodyguard came in, said, "We got to get out of her," and she's screaming for him to like you we know don't get out leave, of her. don't leave me here. She says, don't leave me. And he, and his bodyguard's like, leave her. And so he just turns around and leaves her to die. Just straight up lets her die. And I can't believe that Kara would ever, 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 ever be able to forgive anything like that. That really pisses me off. <sighs> yeah, it's also not a very good Monel thing. Because Monel, what does Monel have a boy for? It's not, uh, even putting aside the, the, the character, just. Forget that he's Monel for a second. Make it so that he—I mean, if he—that's anybody. Kara yeah, just looks that over, and uh, I don't understand it. I like, think is I do understand it if this wasn't Supergirl. Like, I'm sorry, I have known people in my life who have overlooked worse. She and have, is like, smarter than that. Did, did, did you see the Jessica Jones show? Yes, did you watch I it? Loved it. <laughs> did I watch well, it? I not yeah. only watched it, I had somebody review it. It's on the website. Yeah, but the thing about that show was interesting to me. Like, there were lots of things that were interesting about it. One of the fascinating things about it was you cast David Tennant as a just as Kilgrave. He scared the shit out of me. It was so but good. You'll notice he never stopped doing the David Tennant "I'm charming" thing. I know that's but they, why he could. Yeah, made it. That's the thing is, when you have an abusive relationship, when you and I'm sorry, but that's what they're doing with Mon Eldridge. It is. It completely 100% is. When, when you have an abusive relationship, one of the things that has to be there is that, you know, people are always like, why'd you go back? And it's like, you just, you have to have been in it to understand. You don't that understand that it's what they're doing to you. I have a friend who just got out of a really shitty relationship and she had basically been emotionally abusing him for two years straight and he didn't realize it until his therapist like basically gave him this gaslighting quiz and she hit like nine out of 10 and he had this holy shit moment where it's all laid out in black and white in front of him. Like you were, she, she was abusing the shit out of you, dude. And I felt so bad. Like, well, that's the thing is, like, you, you know, you don't realize it's going on while it's happening to you. People do like you know tolerate that sort of thing. People who you you say you're so strong, why did you put up with it? And it's like you strength has nothing to do with it because they don't they turn that against you. Mm -hmm. They turn honestly if the story was being done properly, and I I'm still angry they're using Monel for it. But if the story is being done properly, you could very much have this character get away with doing all sorts of horrible shit and. But they're you, you framing it as a beautiful romance, and that yeah. is really—that's one of the things that pissed me off about Riverdale, was how the CW was promoting it. Y you have Archie fucking Miss Grundy, right? And she's like the young hot teacher, you know, like yeah, Van Halen. Yeah, okay, but well, there's a twist later that I refuse to spoil because it's really good. But 
they were they were promoting it as forbidden romance, and that was like I'm not going to watch another fucking episode of this show. But then I found out like it, it gets around like episode three or four. Within the narrative, they start presenting it as this is abuse, this is uh, predatorial, and this is wrong, and she has to go. And they kicked her out of town. They ran her out on a rail. And they made sure that it was presented as this is not normal and this is abuse. And that was so much better than the way the CW was doing it. Because I am not down for that shit. That's the thing about, you know, you have to, to use Jessica Jones as the example. They really did a good job of showing you can be strong. You can be, you know, and the heroism of the character there. And it's weird to call Jessica Jones heroic. Because oh, she's she is, fucked up, man. Yeah, she, well, she's not just fucked up. She's an unlikable person. Yeah, Even, but, you know, she's still, that's, but that's, she that's, still helps people. That's the thing about that show that's interesting because you can have a character who is unlikable. Tony Stark. Who, yeah, Tony Stark is kind of likable, though, because he is charming. But yeah, Tony I wouldn't Stark, call Jessica charming. <laughs> no, she's not. No. But, but at the same time, it's like heroism can come out of characters who aren't, you know, flawed and broken and terrible people even, but they don't do the wrong thing. Like, not wrong as in, when we say wrong, we're talking about morally wrong. Yeah. We're not talking about Mistakes. oops that would be a mistake too. We're, we're straight up saying there are actions that are monstrous. And the difference between Kilgrave and Jessica is that Kilgrave does monstrous things because he can, and Jessica doesn't because she can. She doesn't even she, like using her powers. No. And there's like, if you watch the Nick Cage, not Nick Cage, oh my god. Uh, wow. <laughs> now, now I want to see Luke Cage breaking into a museum to steal the Declaration of Independence. The problem is that Nicolas Cage picked that last name because of Luke Cage, so it's even worse. I know. But um, the, the Luke Cage show dealt a lot with that too. Like the idea of, you know, he, how much, it, sometimes it's more heroic to not do something. And sometimes you, in fact, do have to do something, even if it isn't the best possible thing. Luke's you have power to... is, by its nature, passive. It's defensive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the physical strength isn't, but. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, the whole unbreakable skin thing and vulnerability yeah. is generally a passive power. Well, this, this is the way that they dealt with it. Was I mean, I'm not qualified to to talk about all of that show. That show was amazing, but oh one god, of the no, we are way too white to get like the whole yeah. like real cultural impact of that show. But there was a lot of stuff that basically dealt with the idea of, you know, what's my obligation? Like, what is it I should do? What, you know, should is really important to this. The whole idea of heroism, should is very important. I mean, what should you do? Should you, you know, should you be silent? Should you act? So we, it's often presented as like, you know, acting is the right thing. You know, you have to step up and talk. But sometimes it's far more heroic to not act. And that's something that's, you know... You got to get it in other places, but you didn't. You know, you don't always get it in comic book stories because mm -hmm. you know comic books are by nature an active medium. You, you want to watch people do things. You don't want to watch them not do things. But we talk about the Kents, you know, and how they were like the most moral people on earth. They probably weren't the most moral people on earth. They were just good, honest people. But one of the things, yeah, which is hard to yeah, find nowadays. One of the yeah. reasons, again, I've said it before. I liked Man of Steel. I really do feel like the Henry Cavill did a very good job as Superman, and he doesn't get enough credit. No, but they. There is no time in any version of Jonathan Kent where he will tell you that you should let a school bus full of people die. Yeah, fuck that. That, that, that is, pissed me off. That is not right. That is unfortunate. It's really weird because Goyer wrote it. Every single one better. of Superman's morals comes from 
Jonathan and Martha Kent. Every single yeah. one. And it doesn't make sense like to have that note there. That was always very strange. Yeah. I would actually argue that at least some of it like there's there is stuff he's learned from Jor-El since. But yeah, he didn't know that he didn't know Krypton growing up. Yeah. He didn't know anything about it. I mean, well, how would he? You know, he he was a baby. They put him in a rocket ship. They didn't you know, it's it's the Moses story. If if you're, you know, you recognize it because it's funny because Superman, much like Captain America, Superman is the creation of, you know, a couple of Jewish kids, you know, trying to create a story about immigration. Mm-hmm. Superman is the ultimate immigrant. I would argue um, Supergirl is. She had no, to assimilate. She Supergirl, was... Supergirl is after the fact. I'm talking about the creation of the character. Okay. I'm not all right. All right. About, we'll, we'll go to... You're talking about narrative. I'm talking all about the, right. reason, the reason they created Superman is to be the ultimate immigrant because you know they they themselves were immigrants but they were the children of immigrants they weren't immigrants themselves they had you know come here their families had come here they grew up feeling like you know i'm i'm an american or i'm canadian in one case but i don't feel like i am because i'm never treated like one Mm -hmm. and they created this character to basically show you know hey he came from another planet but he's still you know one of us and also at the same time you know the early superman stories are very much um oh you're you you're doing bad things, so I will stop you, even though you're an oil tycoon. Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah. You want to talk with social justice warriors, man? That that was the original Superman guy. You know, at one point, I'd like to dare you to get through this this vault door to get to the governor. Superman tears the door down. You did dare me. If you can get yeah. past all the horrible racism, Golden Age comics are really cool. The thing is, is that I don't. You're not going to find a lot of racism in Superman. Yeah, I was mostly reading Wonder Woman, and you know when yeah. you know World War Two was going on. Ooh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Slap a jack. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That that was, but that was jingoistic racism, and you, I'm not surprised that it happened during a war. The fact that, yeah, it was pretty terrible. But since you mentioned it about Supergirl having to assimilate, that's another thing. There's all these elements that we we don't. Like one of the reasons Miss Marvel is such a good comic book is because it is about. The, the constant push-pull between assimilation and keeping your heritage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I and mean, she's like, she even goes back to Pakistan, and she doesn't even feel Pakistani. I mean, she's like, I was raised in Jersey. I was born here, you know? Like, you know, she wasn't from, um, oh, what was the city that she was supposed to be from? Karachi. And I think I lost you again. <laughs> No, I just was listening oh, to you talk. Mute. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Who who would sit here and listen to me talk for an hour and a half? Yeah, I, at this point. <laughs> but there, I there's a lot of. Should be you know wrapping it up pretty soon. But yeah, actually, I, I guess yeah, I guess um, I guess the point is in what makes a hero would be more, I guess, the conscious choice to not be an asshole. There's a uh, of all things. There's an old Star Trek episode, and I. Old Star Trek episodes are goofy as hell. And I don't think anyone's arguing that they aren't. But William Shatner actually delivers a speech as as Kirk to a guy when his planet has been locked in a 400-year war with another planet that's entirely simulated. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't really fight the war. They just have computers simulate it and then tell people, okay, you lived in this block and it got hit by an attack, so you have to go to the death booth and be killed. (laughs) And, yeah, it's a a weird, weird episode. Uh, but the Enterprise gets involved when they are on orbit around the planet trying to establish diplomatic relations. And the other computers say, yeah, we hit that ship. It's destroyed, so you have to get everybody on it into the death booths. And Kirk is like, I'm not having that. 
first off, your your technology isn't good enough. You couldn't kill us. But secondly, no, that's not happening. So Kirk, in his usual way, violates the hell out of the Prime Directive and destroys their death booths. That's and our this captain. Means, this means that they then have to, according to the treaty they have, they have to go to actual war with the other planet. They have to start actually bombing each other. And the, the Prime Minister of the planet's like, oh, don't you understand? We're going to have all the horrors of war. It's going to be terrible. And Kirk's like, yes, that's what I've given you. You had safe, sterile, non-disruptive war, and you let it go for 400 years because it was easy. I've now given you all the misery, butchery, and horror of war, and you're terrified. And I guarantee the other people are terrified too, so you should call them and stop it because, yes – you know, and he's like, we know, we understand now, we can't end war. Man, you know, humans are a horrible, murderous species. There's no way to stop. And he goes, look, no, no. Yes, humans are horrible and murderous and terrible. But we don't have to kill today. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. It's you don't kill anybody today. And then tomorrow, don't kill anybody. And it's like that is cheesy and horrible as old Star Trek can be. The point's valid. The, the difference between a hero and a villain is the hero chooses to not do that thing. Like ultimately, the villains get to be proactive because they choose to do the horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And heroes, oftentimes heroism isn't proactive because you have to choose not to do it. And that's what's really fascinating about a lot of superhero comic books is because in a way they've flipped it around and made it active. They've made it an active choice to go out and do right things. Mm-hmm. You know, and Whether when that out of a works, sense of duty or responsibility or whatever, but it's always yeah. a choice. And there's that quote, Everybody gets this quote from Spider-Man wrong, where they say, with great power comes great responsibility. That that assumes that they sort of go together. But the actual quote is, with great power, there must come great responsibility to temper yeah, you, that power. You have, you have power. You must be responsible with it. Otherwise, yeah, <laughs> do you want Trumps? This is how you get Trumps. Oh uh, yeah, there's some some. Uh, I've been trying really hard not to mention. I know, but you know, this is my podcast. I do what I want. <laughs> oh well, but yeah. So anyway, be be good people. Choose, learn, grow, all that fun stuff. Yay! I don't know. I don't know how to like end this without sounding like a freaking cheerleader. Um, but speaking of cheerleading, hey, buy Matt's books. They are on Amazon. Look for Matthew Rossi, Nameless and Heartless and Faceless coming soon, which is even better than Heartless if you liked Heartless. If I do say so myself. Which I do. Please say something, because otherwise your mic fucked up. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine. I was just... I'm just babbling. I'm just... Oh, so you're I, just going to let just, me babble. That's fine. Yeah. It's your podcast. You just got done saying it. Yeah. But no, I will say this much. I, I, I honestly do feel like one of the things that's great about the comics and related media is that you can take the things that you can't actually do much about in your real life and you can do something about them. You can at least read about them, having something done about them. That's why I'm not a big fan of the Secret Empire thing that's coming down the pike because I don't want to read about horrible people being horrible. I, I can do that anytime I want. And that's why I like your books is because you always, always, always have good triumph. Except maybe possibly at the end of Faceless. I mean, you know, evil people do evil things and that's in my books. That's there. But Um, they don't get away with it. Even even though I would say that Dasalia never actually goes to justice for what she does. 
Yeah, I, I think Tom mentioned that that in yeah. in face he does mention that in Faceless, not to spoil it for anybody, but like the fact that he never ever got to take vengeance for his parents. Yeah, and that's you know, but he comes life, to terms with that. Yeah, in life, you know, it's not necessarily about getting vengeance, and that's one of the things that I think we overemphasize sometimes. Revenge isn't as important as ending things like making it so people aren't getting hurt is more important than getting payback but that's another heroism versus you know villainy idea we could talk about but we are we probably should stop i wanted to do this for like an hour and a half but i love talking with you man i, lo I love the ideas that you come up with i love your books um i hope everybody like goes out and buys them they're on amazon you can get them in paperback but they're mostly on kindle for way cheaper than you should be charging for them well, thank you. <laughs> you could you could double that price and it would still be worth it. Maybe, but because three ninety nine, dude, that's a comic book nowadays. Yeah, I know. Yeah, actually, comic books are more expensive. Yeah, I just bought a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh god, I know four fifty for the average edition. Oh my god, I know, isn't that ridiculous? Ah, back when I was a kid, yada yada yada. I remember when they went up to ninety nine cents, and that was a big deal. Everyone was like, what? 99 cents <laughs> oh god oh man anyway i'm gonna start feeling really really old in a second here and that's not gonna happen until the 30th which is when this episode will probably come out i don't know maybe 31st anyway this has been made to fail episode 84 thank you so much matt for joining me it was a Thanks pleasure as always that was good to do it all right see you next episode Hey everybody, your friendly neighborhood audio editor George here. And the following is dedicated to Dana, because she wanted me to put a rush on this episode. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean.